Hey everyone, Luis here. Welcome back to Need to Know, a podcast by Skillful. Today I'm really excited to share a conversation I had with Marcus Bertelson, VP of go-to-market at Thumbtack, the home services platform. There he leads a ton of different teams from sales to success, marketing, customer experience, community, and biz ops. We chatted about Thumbtack's recent announcement just this week that they've raised a $275 million Series G, the problems they've had to face to get here, the critical role that BizOps plays in tech organizations, and the importance of choosing the right metric to optimize, as well as how important it is to know when to question that metric. I've hosted Marcus in the past for fireside chats with the Skillful community, so I knew to expect great anecdotes and insightful advice. It's no surprise that he delivered. Let's get into it. Well, great, Marcus. I know you. Uh, you and I have chatted in the past, and that's why I, I was very excited to have you on. But would love just, you know, an intro for the audience. Like last time, take it wherever you'd like. I think the intro a person gives reveals a lot about who they are. Yeah. So I, uh, Marcus Bertelson, I, I almost have to start with uh, where I'm from, because people can probably already tell I have an accent. So I'm from Sweden, born and raised in Sweden, moved to the U.S., with my family, my wife, Beatrice, who is a musician. It's so refreshing to to live with a much more of an artist or a musician or, you know, honestly, someone who I believe is naturally better at understanding what matters most than like business people. <laughs> I come home with numbers and things or problems or even wins and uh, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, uh, And it's awesome. And so, you know, for, for her, this you know, oh yeah, okay, there were some articles about Thumbtack today, but that doesn't that doesn't matter. And my kids couldn't care less what I do, you know. Uh, <laughs> hard to explain what I do. Um, I have four four girls from the ages of 13 to 4. And so, yes, I guess my story here, I've been at Thumbtack for five, five years, five plus years now, almost six years, I think. And previously was a management consultant at McKinsey for five years uh, out of our Dallas, London, and Stockholm office where I joined. And, uh, and, and the short story there, I remember I was trying to tell my kids like what I was doing, you know, but often they would quote when others would ask, they would say, oh, I think he works at something called McDonald's or something. <laughs> and I just like, whatever it, it's <laughs> for them, for them, it probably is cooler for them to have a dad who works at McDonald's than <laughs> right, McKinsey. Right, right. You don't have, you get, you get airline miles, not, not fries. Right. I think they're probably more <laughs> interested at their age in the fries. Actually, the job before that was their favorite. That was when I was at, at business school. I studied at the Stockholm school of business and uh, and this goes into a little bit of my my upbringing and what I did. I you know for me I could never just be uh, going to school and actually that school allowed you to do side gigs or run your own business etc. So there was a number of different startups and ventures that I did at that time. And one of them was that for almost two and a half years I worked as sales and export and marketing manager for a pretty small family owned potato chips company. <laughs> And that my kids loved, right. that I worked at a potato. And they loved coming to that factory that, you know, walk around on those belts and just eat warm uh, potato chips uh, <laughs> from the belt. And so they have always been like, why did you quit that job? Like, who would quit a potato chips company? And uh, I actually loved it. It was, it was a, 
you know, so this is when I was 20 to 22, 23, right? Or maybe 21 to 23. And uh, while I was studying, it was like an incredible opportunity to be, have a bigger role as a junior person in a, in a small company, but I got to learn and got to see the inside of a business, every aspect of business. I got to work on the sales, the clients, and, but I also spent a lot of time down in production to make sure that like the big order that we're going to send to Italy for the first time doesn't mess up. Right. And taste those potato chips to make sure it's not bad. And then watch those trucks go away and work on logistics and everything. So I loved it that rather than so many of my, you know, peers who were trying to get their fancy internships at Goldman Sachs or other things. I think I actually, that has served me well to work in a place like that and, and learned a lot. And then, yeah, before that, and even during that time at uh, uh, studying business, I majored in finance, but it was a pretty generalist education, right? <laughs> In Sweden. And then before that, tried a couple of different businesses. Back to my upbringing, uh, grew up in an uh, entrepreneurial family. It was sort of obvious that I had to figure out a way to make my own money. But my father and mother were very, you know, supportive. So if I would come and said, hey, I, I want to get the new Game Boy, the answer was never, all right, like do chores at home. It was, all right, so how are we going to make money? And then I can help, I can give you a loan to start your business, right? And so my my first business, I think the one that scaled the most, I started when I was 12. And I realized that like, who wouldn't want to get fresh bakery goods on a Saturday morning when they're still in their robe and reading the newspaper? Who wants to get out to that bakery, you know? Um, and so I was like, I can take orders on Thursdays. And I actually eventually even created a webpage where they could enter it in. And this was way before you could order anything uh, and get it home delivered. And so we would walk around or call around on Thursdays or electronically take the orders. And then we would head up on early on Saturday mornings to the bakery and uh, and put it into these, these uh, things behind our bikes and just run around and <laughs> deliver. <laughs> and uh, it... It just grew. I mean, I can I can attest to how difficult delivery of perishables is. I can't imagine I can't imagine trying to deliver um, you know fresh baked goods. Especially, I'm I'm hoping this was at least in the summer in Sweden because in the winter you're a madman. No, it, it was in the winter when it was even more because like who wanted to get out and if you could get those rolls of bread and those danishes to your Saturday morning coffee and. Uh, my mind was blown when I realized I can pay for each, you know, Danish 10 cents and people will buy them for 50 cents. And, uh, you know, after that explored and had a lot of different fun businesses through my youth, one being a computer cleaning company as well, where we cleaned the keyboards, you know, no one else would do that. But they can, yeah, anyway, that's me and loved, loved sort of the outdoors. I live now in Utah because we, uh, I joined Thumbtack in San Francisco, but then we uh, opened up a second sort of head office here, and uh, it's been awesome. We love it. We love it here up in the Utah, close to the mountains, um, uh, and sort of grew up on skis. One of the the first things you said, Marcus, I'd love to get into um, around that, that that your time at that potato chip company. It sounds like you had your hands in um, in all different parts of the business, right? And I'm sure you did the same uh, in your in your baked goods delivery business as well. Today, as I understand it, you were leading several business units at, at Thumbtack, right? Amongst them, sales, business operations, marketing, uh, success. 
And what I wanted to know is how personally I've seen several companies um, either succeed or fail at efficiently dividing up responsibilities across all those different departments. And I wanted to understand, one, how you think about that. And especially, like, did these past experiences of yours color the way that you see the the interface of these different departments and these different functions? Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. If I have to step back and say what my background and my experiences uh, what 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 it's sometimes been my advantage, and you know I have plenty of things that many others are much better than me at. But I believe I early on got to be trained to think about how things interact in a business. Right? So many people work very narrowly. Right? Even people in senior marketing roles in many companies are just optimizing for their whatever metrics either leaderships or they themselves have defined for themselves. And even at Thumbtack, I think that has been, if I had to say like a red, like a thread that has been throughout my career, but even at Thumbtack has been, I've often found that my contribution has been of that connective tissue. I can share with you when I joined Thumbtack, I joined in a very like nebulous defined role as head of labs and sort of a strategy, internal consultant, internal sort of like SWAT team. Um, and and I, I took a big bet on Thumbtack because I sort of like, I just felt like, wow, this is such an incredible uh, team, a small team and a big vision. And so I almost liked that I came in in a very free role, but many probably would have said that was a crazy move to you know jump from McKinsey to an IC role at a early stage company. No, I was going to say your that your entrepreneurial spirit shines through there, right? There, what is more entrepreneurial than a team working on strategy and uh, you know defined as the head of labs trying to to create new uh, new projects and um, and strategic initiatives. You know, part of what I was attracted to was I felt like I was able going to be able to do similar to what I did at McKinsey, which is like solve interesting problems, research opportunities and size them and you know build create buy-in and pitch it, you know, but then also get to do it, you know, get these things off the ground. So for me, it was the marriage of like the previous Marcus before McKinsey where, you know, clean computer keyboards at night and got to scale businesses and the things that I'd learned at McKinsey um, and sort of love that idea. And it definitely played out. I'm not saying that the whole the whole journey has been rosy, but I've, I've loved the journey and it's been a good blend of both of those uh, those aspects of my experience. So Marcus, I think, um, first off, a second ago, you just gave the tightest pitch um, for why people are, are going through programs like Skillful trying to get into tech from more traditional backgrounds like consulting, where it's like, I want to be able to conceive of the idea, I want to be able to exit and then pitch it and get it prioritized, but then I want to be able to go execute against it. So that makes it that makes a ton of sense. Was, was that what was behind um, how you've landed in, in your current role um, and how you've uh, been able to, you know, roll up all these quite different, honestly, uh, uh, parts of the business under you. Yeah. And, and my scope has changed along the way as well. We had a very like defined, pretty siloed product, uh, product team versus like the customer support. We had no sales. Uh, we had a very small marketing team at that point. But even for such a young company, and this is very common, so I don't think this was necessarily bad execution, but definitely a lesson. 
wasn't like we had our customer support team who were passionate about that, but they were optimizing their own cost or just customer MPS. And they were like very narrowly focused on that. And there was so much opportunity in between just a self-serve product and the measures of, of that you can have in your app and observe in the app and the behavior of the user. And then whoever calls on the phones and complains and that whole space in between or sort of that combinational effect of people and tech was very unexplored at Thumbtack. So that's what I, I was like, whoa, like there's a ton of stuff we can do here, uh, including basic things that's like sales and more proactive engagements and new products and services in between. And, and because I think that's where I identified it gave me a lot of latitude in that first year or so to test like scrappy versions of human powered experiments that eventually we could productize. I, I love that model. I think a lot of startups could learn a lot that you don't always have to have a, a product and the MVP built by engineers because everyone is screaming for the engineering capacity and every business has like, and of course, you should put probably your engineering capacity towards the more safer bets and the incremental improvements of your platform. Then people stifle these the innovation or the new tests or new products. And I believe if you can marry that, and if you get a, if you can have people and teams who sit in between and who have an understanding of the technology, but also have are like able to work with standing up teams in the Philippines or ops teams across the U.S and just like piece together things and test in the market, you can run so much faster. And that's what I did for sort of the first year at Thumbtack. And I think it sort of grew from there. After that, they realized they're like, oh, well, that's great. Like, do you want to actually lead our customer support team and our, our, our full operation? And this is when I moved to Salt Lake City because we had about 200 people then in, in our operation. And uh, yeah, I thought that was a fun challenge. I don't lead that team now anymore. And and, and that's a good thing because I probably am, I'm not the right long-term leader of a team like that. But it was it was definitely the focus was to come in and find those things that people miss when they just look at department per se. So that that's one of the the you know the biggest advice I could give to people. And the most the most common mistake I see in in companies that I consult or in in our own business is uh, people rarely question what they what the measure of success that they inherited should be or whether the scope or their work should be challenged and i actually believe it's very healthy to often ask yourself should we really just optimize for csat or for whatever thing here and um and and uh you know i would advise most people to to regularly go back and challenge those assumptions it reminds me of a conversation i had recently where someone someone laid it out as there are companies and teams that are focused on out on a specific outcome, right? And there are companies and teams that are focused on a specific function. And if you're focused on a function, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But if you're focused on an outcome, you will find the most uh, the most efficient and easiest way of getting to that outcome, right? Is that is that kind of how you're thinking about this? Absolutely. So big plus to what you said. And it's actually why we at Thumbtack have stayed away from function. I like like. Very little of our strategy is driven by function, and much more is driven by our cross-functional teams. And so they are a combination of people, and and this is where BizOps actually plays a big, very big role in like bridging 
marketing, sales, product, engineering, et cetera. So we have like cross-functional teams and they are the ones who set, we, you know, who break down our higher level strategy into its individual component of outcomes, I guess you could say. And uh, and then the functions are almost, the functional leaders at Thumbtack are almost the more the people leader who will, you know, drive sort of the the, the infrastructure that, that fit into those cross-functional teams. So absolutely. But I would say even, even when you have outcome-focused OKRs or measurements or metrics, I see common mistake that that you set those, if you don't set those at the right level of aggregation, you can miss phenomenal business opportunities. And again, create pretty siloed teams who are optimizing metric you gave them <laughs> and rarely step back and see these wonderful opportunities uh, of synergies or cost savings or just differentiated products that, that fit sort of in between. I bet people have been annoyed at me, but it's almost my nature. when I So when I took over customer support, for example, this was way back when, and I'm not a customer support executive, but for a while I led our customer support team, sort of inbound team. I just, and it was, it was, maybe this is not healthy to always do, but they had like CSAT. It's the most common measure of sort of like how you, you measures, you know, uh, and then costs, you know, these are like sort of the, the measures of customer, customer support. And I just couldn't just swallow. I was like, is that really the right metric? And so I, the first thing I had to do was like, what should we really measure all of our efforts on? Like, what is the thing that is at the highest level of aggregation, the thing that aligns with the business success of our users, financially, et cetera? And it was a super interesting project because we realized that for Thumbtack and for many other companies I've found afterwards who have, who have learned from our studies there, CSAT is absolutely not the right metric. Uh, it is the easiest metric to hold individual reps accountable for how satisfied the customer is with their interaction with them. In our world, it was very little correlated to the business success of our users. And so we scrapped it. <laughs> we still have it as a sort of sub-metric, a supporting metric, but we introduced a whole new metric. And it was super fun, and it led to a ton of... Ton of uh, and it, it really brought our uh, support team together with the product team to something that actually was optimizing the right thing. So for me, that is, that is the first thing that many people don't do. They take the metrics or the structure or the scope that someone has defined for them, and uh, and I'll tell you, sometimes people spend way too little time really thinking about those interfaces and how metrics fit together or whether you're leaving big spaces of, of void between them. I, I hope you'll humor me, Marcus, but I would actually like to talk more, like go deeper into this. I think our audience would be fascinated to hear how, you know, uh, it, it, as a problem solver like you, it tackles these sorts of of ambiguous problems. Well, so first of all, most people don't even ask the question. So I think even if you end up saying confirming at the end of questioning, you need to question the metrics you you hold your team or account at all levels. I think people don't question enough. So that's the first advice. You know, spend some time really thinking, is this the right metric? And uh, don't just say like, yeah, because everyone else is doing it. And I did it at my previous company. CSAT was like what we used. Uh, and you'll find that most people don't even spend even a minute or two thoroughly thinking that through. So start there. The answer might be, yeah, it's the right one and keep going at it. For us, 
I had a sense of like, this feels like we're missing a lot of the customer experience and the business impact and the vision that we're trying to accomplish. And so the first couple of analysis that we saw was basically, you know, so customer support at Thumbtack, you talk to individuals, small plumbers or, you know, catering firms, et cetera, every day, right? And so we saw that, so first I wanted to start to see is the, the pros that report higher CSAT and the reps who have higher CSAT, is that resulting in these businesses retaining more long-term, being more successful on Thumbtack long-term, sort of like three to six to nine to 12 months, all the sort of available data we had? Is it leading to change in behavior that, uh, like, do we see that after an interaction with the support rep, they were actually improving their response time to customers or our reviews taken up or, you know, things that we know is what drives our business long-term, which is the retention of our users, the customer experience that they give to, to our homeowners and their spend, like their revenue on Thumbtack. And the first shocker was like, actually, it's almost not correlated at all. Like it was a very low correlation uh, to all the sort of business outcomes that we realized was the way the question was set up and what it drove our agents to do was to be very like accommodating. So if you called in and you were a angry, you know, plumber, I as a, C, I as a support rep would be incentivized to just now be very accommodating and listening and almost taking your side and saying like, yeah, yeah, we're sorry about that feature. And like, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm going to definitely share that feedback with our product team. Yeah, I appreciate you calling in with the feedback. And hey, this isn't wrong. Like they were good at that, right? And then, oh yeah, we'll, we'll offer you a refund. And, and then end the call. And then you as Lummer would say, yeah, you know, were you, were you satisfied with the interaction with Marcus? Yeah, he, he, he listened, heard me out. He listened to me for an hour. Uh, he took my complaints and he gave me a refund. So I'm, I'm happy. But does it actually change? Like, so you have to know, as a plumber, are you walking away from that conversation knowing how to succeed on Thumbtack? Are you walking away committed to spend more on Thumbtack? Uh, not at all, right? Because it was very reactive, right? So what we realized was, and then we started seeing that some of our reps, they had lower scores on CSAT, but their pros that they engaged with was doing way better. So we started going into like, what is driving the difference behavior? And you started seeing that all the sort of behavior we want to see, which is you calling in and then I'm saying, yeah, hey, I get that that feature is not working, but here's what you can do. If you responded faster, you would have closed more leads. Or if you could get a couple of more reviews on your profiles, you would get this. Or, you know, next time in your profile, write that you're not doing Italian catering food and then you will, you'll be less sort of uh, disappointed when you get uh, catering requests for Italian, right, et cetera. Like go way more into proactive coaching and so we had to find a new metric for this because in sometimes it was about giving the tough love to that plumber, right? Uh, it's not about them walking away happy. It's about, it's about them walking away more motivated and also knowing what they can do to improve the performance on Thumbtack. And so then we had a metric that was called, it was not about satisfaction at the end of the call. It was about what is the likelihood of you continuing using Thumbtack? And... It's a complete, you probably will, if you've looked into customer support, the metric drives everything, right? Like, and because uh, it's a very transactional job, right? Et cetera. So you had to like retrain and remeasure. And what we found was like, 
uh, yeah, it, we found a huge transition over to like where these support reps who were inbound reactive reps before, we had to, they had to become more proactive coaches and marketing consultants almost. But the spend and the retention went through the roof, you know, because it doesn't matter if you're satisfied about your interaction with a support rep if the product isn't working for you. Like you won't spend another marketing dollar with Thumbtack. It's like, but yeah, you love Marcus on the support line. Like who cares? But if Marcus on the support line gave you the tough love and coached you how to actually be better as a business, and now you're succeeding and you're closing leads, you'll never stop using Thumbtack, right? Even if he didn't give you the refund. What has surprised me when I've looked at this space is how when something goes wrong, if you have the right team in place and the right structure, which it sounds like you absolutely built, is you can actually turn that into an opportunity to increase the lifetime value of the customer, right? Like you can you can turn that negative into a positive. And I don't think I don't think that's how uh, support has been seen in the past. And that's why what, what keeps popping into my head is it's not support, right? It's not satisfaction, like you said, it's success, right? It's truly, what is the success of the customer? How do you identify the behavior you're trying to drive and reverse engineer backwards from there, as opposed to where you are today and trying to get to that outcome? And I'm curious what, you know, because definitely this wasn't an easy journey, right? Like a lot of people uh, there was a lot of data analysis testing. There was for a while where we had to run both metrics at the same time before people started realizing that, like, no, what we call LTC, it captures all the benefits of CSAT, and we're okay to sort of remove it, etc. And I think um, so. The change management is hard, right? And when you've hired for a, t- a big team of both managers and reps who are like. They've spent their careers in the more sort of like call time, average handle time, and CSAT environment. It's a hard thing to sort of like switch into a more success-oriented team. What I was going to ask you, Marcus, is, you know, I've been, as we talked about earlier, you guys had a big funding round today, which is very exciting. And I've been reading a little bit about, you know, the big turnaround effort you guys have had at Thumbtack over the past couple of years. And what you just said, right, how do you help? teams with change management, right, in their, they are set in their ways, they're thinking about things in one way, and you have to help them change their perspective, right? That's an incredibly difficult problem. But not only did you have to do it in that instance, you've had to do it um, at a company wide level, right, you and the rest of the executives at Thumbtack would love to hear how, what have you found to be, you know, um, successful and not so successful in terms of helping people change the way that they do their jobs, and importantly, change the way that they view their jobs. We have spent a lot of time thinking, moving from functional and more siloed metrics and and goals. Take another one. We started a sales team, so I got to be part of starting a sales team because this is no 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 praise here. That oh, I had a brilliant idea. Maybe we should start a sales team at Thumbtack. Um, but you know that that wasn't that wasn't actually here. And uh, and. The, you know, it took a while before we proved how it could work, and because you know we had built a whole product that was based off of, uh, you know, a free sign up and a, a self serve sort of approach, uh, but we opened up a new segment basically of of customers, and now sales is is a is a big part of Thumbtack, uh, probably a, a fifth or a fourth of the entire company, and I would say the first year we ran that as sort of as a separate sales team, and that was a mistake because we needed to put them right next to the PM, the product manager, 
who is in charge of self-serve growth. Because we have this little, you know, intern not, not a battle, but, you know, this internal sort of like one person is optimizing a self-serve funnel of the product and someone else is like trying to like prove out that sales can work. And clearly they should always be uh, like one team with one goal. And in some ways we don't care how much is the product is doing the selling or how, when the humans are needed. But it took us a while to like mesh those teams, find that right aggregation of metric that is truly what we should care about. And then those teams could actually flourish. I think, again, I found many companies that that they, they don't spend enough time smashing those teams together. And so you have a sales team who's like, yeah, they're aligned during planning maybe a little bit. And, and when you set the OKRs, but then they take their sales quota and they just run. And at Thumbtack, at least, this would be a disaster because it's such a dynamic marketplace that if if you just held the sales team accountable for the number of sales, they would sell all the wrong uh, businesses to Thumbtack. They would go and sell house cleaners in Minnesota and uh, they would optimize revenue. But you know what? Maybe we already have a lot of house cleaners in Minnesota. And so most of that revenue would just cannibalizing the sales from the pros we already have, right? And versus like what we really need is a painter in in Atlanta or something. So this had to be super tied together. So I think what we've done fairly well, but I would say this is something we uh, you can never think that you have it perfect, is often question what is the right level of, of aggregation and goals, and then make sure that the sales team and others are not siloed, but they are, they, they're truly not just planning together, but then they're owning those goals together with the engineers and the product managers and the marketers. And so you have less of a sales culture at Thumbtack because of that, because you don't have that, like, just hit the sales, whatever it takes, you know, and... Uh, uh, but I think that's absolutely right for our business to to, uh, to to not just let them run on their own. And in other words, and tell me if this is wrong, is it's choose the right metric, right? And then choose at what level of the taxonomy within within the company to set that metric as the goal, right? Because it might be the right metric, but if it's in the wrong place, then you're going to have the wrong outcome. So it's it's a combination of those two things. That's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And it's hard. Like, we get it wrong. We've definitely at times struggled with goals, uh, goal setting or metric setting. And then we realized, oh, this metric actually didn't capture a lot of things. And there was a way. Not, I don't think most people in most companies are trying to game goals. They are trying to hit the goals while also doing the right thing for the users or whatever. But if your metrics is how you judge your experiments, it's how you like. So it is. I would say the most common mistake that I saw both at McKinsey or in even very big companies and at Thumbtack at every level, including where I sit and where I have sat at the company, is you don't spend enough time thinking about the broader context of how goals interact with each other and the gaps that are left in between or how they, the tensions in between goals that, that sometimes you want. And... The, the tendency is always, let's just use similar goals to what we had last quarter and whatever. And people don't spend enough time. Or sometimes people don't have enough people who have the purview of seeing the business. And this is, where, again, where I believe the role that I've had and business operations and revenue operations at Thumbtack, 
I think we are the people not smarter than anyone else. Uh, clearly not. Like I, but it's just that in our role, we get to have a decent understanding of both customer support, trust and safety, what the sales reps are up to, how the marketers are thinking, what the product and designers are doing, and engage with the finance people as well, right? And so by that nature alone, you have a different perspective of the business than many others have. And therefore, you have to have a very, uh, you, can, you can contribute a lot from a business organization in setting those goals. You make it sound so easy. Right, which I, I, I can attest to it not being. So I would love to I would love to better understand like how do you realize um, from where you're sitting that a given team is doesn't have an execution issue but has a resourcing issue, right? And um, then you know, and maybe that resourcing issue is that there isn't that person sitting in between who can point out um, the problems. But I'd love to understand like how you how have you been able to tease those two apart in the past. If it sounds simple, it's it's. I'm not making it fair at all because it isn't right. And and most often, I think it is. You learn because things go, you know, uh, uh, and you know, who knows? Even if like how we've set up the goals for Q3, which we're working on right now, we might learn a month or two here. Like, ah, dang it, we we missed it. So I think it's more about this. Like, regularly ask yourselves and be very open to adjusting. Um, which is annoying to have to change the way you measure or change the constellation of teams, et cetera. But I think something is pretty good at that. Let's say you have a given a, a given outcome you, you're expecting, right? And you and that doesn't happen. How do you know when it's a resourcing issue versus an execution issue, right? Is it like they just did not have the right resources or is it that they, you know, frankly messed it up? I think we trust a lot. We give a lot of trust to the different leaders. Um so at the end of the quarter or even in the middle of the quarter when you're checking in on different progress, you've set these beautiful goals and ambitions and you're checking in on progress and you see a team falling behind or like for whatever reason that product is not doing as well or that launch or they're not hitting those those sales numbers for that specific product. How do you how do you then analyze what is the root cause of that, right? It sounds like you have helped you've built the the business operations function at Thumbtack, right? And it's been it's been plugging this hole in between different functions and helping them think through the shared problems, right? And so when do you realize it's time to put someone in the middle? When do you realize, oh, we should shift this team around, right? Like it's, is it, is it simply that, you know what, we're going to get them next quarter just as, the, as we're doing today? Or, hey, do we have to shift the team around? Do we have to put someone else, someone new, uh, incremental to the company in the middle to help us, you know, uh, see things more clearly? Uh, first of all, even at Thumbtack, uh, uh, we've had to build our own internal brand. <laughs> you know, these the the pods of my the teams that I lead, which is the combination of sales and success ops, the biz ops people, or we 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 work on innovation and partnership, and we have sort of insights analysts and etc. In many ways, we've had to build up the credibility, the reputation, the relationships with other stakeholders in order for them even to like want to work with us, right? Or the fact that we then become a natural part or or the you know the partner that they reach out to when they want to solve a problem. So that definitely has not always in every team have we been, you know, the first people they think about that they want to work with. So as a head of that team, my role is definitely to build very good relationships with all leaders of our business and to make sure that I'm 
you know, they feel that we are coming here across as we want to solve the same thing. Like we're all, you know, we want to help the sales team just be more successful. Even though uh, when we work with them, we will also be the ones who like challenge things. But how do we decide when? So I would say oftentimes, uh, especially new initiatives, new products, new launches in that early incubation phase, my philosophy have always been that that's when you need a cross-functional thinking more than ever. And that over time, once a solution or a product is more stable or it's, it's groove is the right word, or like, then I think you can rely more on functional leaders and, and more, you know, uh, to lead it. So at Thumbtack, that's, I think, what, what, what our teams have always focused on, which is that early incubation phase. And I think that's served Thumbtack really well. So right now we're incubating where actually a BizOps person is sort of acting as the GM and the person who sort of is bringing people together, but with a clear plan of that person stepping out eventually and allowing product or whether it's a marketing or whether it's a support or an ops person to lead it more long-term, right? Um, and in fact, it's a success when we can sort of step out of it a bit. So that's sort of how we worked it. I know other companies, they have BizOps people more permanently always embedded filling this role. Um, and we might, it's some, you know, maybe that's also what we will do at times. But for me, I think the highest impact of, of teams like this is in that early phase, um, because that's where you just can't, you just, just can't be siloed or uh, um, have just one department optimizing their separate pieces. And that, that mirrors a lot what you said earlier around MVPs and experimentation, right? It's like, go in... Um, prove something out, and then build the structures that will allow it to scale more easily. Whether earlier you were talking about it from a product perspective, here you're talking about it from a people perspective, right? It's like, send the person in that can that can lay the groundwork, you know, make sure that, um, you know, build that initial, um, you know, little structure, and then have everyone else come in and build the, build the, the skyscraper on top of that. Marcus, this has been a fascinating, fascinating conversation, I think. I am fascinated by how you guys run BizOps and success and support at, at Thumbtack. It sounds like it's been such a journey. So just wanted to say thank you so much for, for coming on. And um, it's been an absolute pleasure and privilege to get to hear about uh, how you solve these problems firsthand. If what I could end with is just saying, um, you know, not everyone, I think, will love the world of BizOps in a startup or a growth company. But uh, I think it's an underrated, uh, underrated career path, and I've certainly seen how it's a phenomenal place to be early in your career. What I actually want to say is because Thumbtack and my team has been sort of the incubator early of new ideas or testing out a new concept or whatever, I've also fed this business with a lot of people. They They might work on like, hey, I'm going to try this thing out, and then... And then long-term, they're like, yeah, do you want to continue to lead that long-term? And they've sort of like left business ops and now they're just leading that sales team or they are leading that that product or whatever. And so it's a phenomenal place to actually just explore the whole business and then figure out which what really resonates with you. And and people get surprised at like, man, it wasn't until after I digged into customer support that I'm like, I actually want to continue to do work in customer support. And 
awesome. You found what you are really passionate about. And uh, so again, early on, I think it's a phenomenal place to be in. Uh, stay, staying curious, questioning often, uh, but not to the annoyance. And I think it's, it's a, yeah, it's a great time to be. And I think many companies are investing in and realizing the value of these, these type of teams uh, more than what I think was the case like five, 10 years ago. It's like, it's the best training ground. And what, what popped into my head as you were saying that is come here, learn, figure out what you want to do longer term, but no matter where you are in a business, keep that biz ops mindset, keep that cross-functional questioning and incisive mindset.